We're putting the band back together. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Oh, this is gonna be fun. We can see him play, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I'm not going to give you a can question. You can you stay categorical? You are fake news. Sir, go ahead. I can, you can see Russia from my house. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Uh, we, um, like drink box water bottles. I don't know. The proof is approved. What kind of proof? It's approved. Here come the play. Champions. 10 Hey, what's going on, my friends? It's Bruce Mackey, and this is The Edge of Tomfoolery. We talk sports, we talk politics, we talk music, and all that other tomfoolery. Speaking of Tom, it's the Earl of Bob himself, Mr. Bobby Morris. How are you, Bobby? Hey, Bruce. Doing well. You? I am I'm fine. Have you, like I told my wife, today was like the perfect day. Mm-hmm. I, I watched I watched the sports. I watched church. It, the sun was shining. It was just, it couldn't have gotten any better than that. Like the sun is shining. You kind of forget about this COVID thing. Weather's picked right up. Oh, yeah. COVID's oh, yeah. in the back of your mind. And uh, someone who is from a province that said they would never, ever lock down ever again but i've heard that alberta may have locked down last week stevie heights with us how are you buddy i'm good uh shockingly alberta sometimes thinks it does things a little better than everyone else and uh it can come back to haunt us here and there so uh, <laughs> yeah. nothing, nothing we're confident brucey I'll oh i know that. you guys are you guys are our texas and we love oh, you yeah. for it we love you for it so thank you are thank they gonna you. string kenny up though are they getting angry with him are the notley folks getting a little upset or Oh, we're not worried about her. It's his, it's his own people we're worried about. That's that's <laughs> that's actually very are, true. Yeah, yeah. You you have really conservative and super conservative in Alberta. They're really those are the only options you've got. Oh, right? there so, you go. Well, listen. Yeah. On the show tonight, we have got a, a great guest lined up. We've got uh, Mr. Mark Osborne. Fourteen seasons in the NHL, nine hundred and nineteen games, total of five hundred and thirty-one points. Please welcome to the show, Mark Osborne. How are you, Mark? Hey guys, uh, I'm doing great, and I gotta tell you, hearing that and just think, how in the world did these guys get that audio? I am uh, equally impressed. They and- don't, they don't pay us the big bucks for nothing, right? So. <laughs> Here I thought this was just going to be a real simple thing, but man, you guys are top shit. <laughs> there's the, well, there's uh, when you look at us, we look simple. We really do. But oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> oh well, thanks for being a part of things, and we've had a friendship that's gone back many years. And uh, and in your honor tonight, I am wearing an L.A. Kings jersey, and and you are working for the Kings. And actually, we've got to leave the podcast a little early because you're actually working, and we're going to talk about that. 
yeah. talk about it, your. It, uh, I'm I'm uh, thoroughly impressed. I and and if I look, I I got to say that's got to be a former Belleville Bull. That's got to be is. Mike Love. Yes, who, it uh, is. Games with us over the course of these last uh, couple of years, and I know you you guys all do Belleville proud, right? Like, oh. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> actually, Steve's a, Steve's from a little place called Ross Moore, or, and we call him a Ross Moron. So yeah, that's the- <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like I'm like the Samaria of the Quinney region. Yeah. So I don't really fit anywhere. <laughs> this is true. So we want to talk a little bit about your history, and we want to talk of hockey. I mean, we're in playoffs. You know, the the playoffs are just starting off. So, um, you know, talking about your junior career, you played in uh, Niagara Falls for the Niagara Falls Flyers. Played in the OHL. I think it was, was it called the OHA back in those days? It was the OHA, yeah, back then, yeah. Yeah, who were some of the guys that you played with? Who were some of your teammates back then? Well, uh, pretty close to where you guys uh, are at in Belleville, and I know you hate the Peterborough Peets, but there was a uh, a fellow on our team by the name of Steve Larmer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Larms is from that area. Steve Ludzik, Daryl Evans, Kevin McClellan, uh, Paul Gillis. uh, Those were, uh, you know, a handful of the guys that uh, obviously went on to play in the National Hockey League and, and yeah, the old Niagara Falls Flyers, who obviously uh, a few years after I left junior hockey and turned pro, they ended up moving to North Bay. Okay. And then eventually North Bay moved to Saginaw. That's right. So how's that for me being on top of my way? Like, oh, wow. Look at that. That's very good. Wow. Who was your coach in, in Niagara Falls? Uh, it was Bert Templeton. Oh, wow. Wow. So yeah. Bert was with us for one year. And, uh, but we went all the way to the OHL finals to Peterborough. We're up three games to uh, one. And I know when you had Lori Boschman on, yeah. um, you know, previously, I think you were talking about, uh, his Memorial cup and that they yep. had lost to Peterborough. Well, that was the team actually that we had lost to in the OHL finals. Uh, we were up three games to one. They came back and won the next three games and Gary Green was their coach. Oh and, man. Um, if, if you'd you know, have beat, if you'd have beat Peterborough, you'd probably beat Boshi, wouldn't you have? Well, I'd, I'd like to think so, <laughs> but, uh, no, nonetheless, I mean, that, that's a long time ago. I mean, oh, we're beating wow. ourselves now. My goodness. Uh, junior hockey back in 1978, that was my first year in junior or so. Oh man. Um, uh, we got, uh, so you played three years in the OHL and my question is the OHL didn't even play this year. So there's, how do you think this year is going to pan out for the, the amateur scouts and for the professional scouts in years to come, especially with the OHL when guys haven't played for the entire year? Yeah. You know what? It, it is uh, such an unusual thing, right? That's occurred. Um, the Quebec league played, the Western hockey league played a, a lot of the junior leagues in the United States have played same thing with Europe. I mean, I think the OHL was probably the only league that, uh, you know, did not have guys playing. And so not being on the amateur side of scouting, because I am on the pro side, but but I know and I've read some of the things regarding, you know, this upcoming draft. I mean, it's still a level playing field for all the NHL teams. It, it, you just uh, hopefully have got information on these guys from, from previous. And, and I don't know what's going to happen with those kids, right, that are draft eligible that missed an entire year from the Ontario Hockey League. Um, I think we did see some of them maybe at the world juniors. Um, and so, you know, that's, uh, you know, a most unusual situation, but, uh, you know, we'll leave it to the amateur department and we'll blame them. if it Do do the amateur and the pro scouts, do they get along or is it kind of like, uh, you know, uh, the Samaria thing again? Why did did you ask that? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, uh, (laughs) 
but but there there's there's always this ongoing uh, a little bit of um, see the pro guys are really easygoing you know yeah. the amateurs <laughs> saying um, it from a pro guy right yeah, yeah yeah exactly I don't know what it is ab- about them whether it's a competitive thing um, uh, I think they do take a lot of criticism because of Oh, you know, let's face it, it's not an easy thing to do to be able to project 17, 18-year-old players and, and hopefully that you get it right. I mean, um, you know, there's so many factors that go involved that are involved in, in scouting players and, um, yeah, you know, three years down the road. Like, I mean, we picked Quinton Byfield this year as the second pick, um, not without some criticism because – you know, I've heard it from a from a bunch of friends about the German boy in uh, up the road from you guys in Ottawa, right? Like Stutzel. Jimmy. Well, um, well, Stutzel was ready to play, and you know he's a great player, but um, you can't judge a draft uh, after one year or two years, and sometimes it takes three to four years before you really uh, get the uh, the depth of a player and their their potential upside. So that's that's what we're hoping for, obviously, with a QB. Otherwise. We are blaming the amateurs. <laughs> there you go, Steve. Yeah. You got a question? Yeah, I was going to say we uh, we does, did some digging on you. Found out uh, now you went forty six overall. Now that's a third round pick. Now thanks to the Kraken, uh, you probably would be a first rounder now because of forty six, <laughs> right? So with some perspective on what forty six overall means now, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, it, you make me feel better. I mean, I went first round, second round pick. Uh, you know, because back then, um, yeah, I, I was drafted the first year out of expansion, right? So they went from the original six to 12 teams. No, no. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. There were 21 man. teams at that time. So um, there you go. Yeah, did you, did mean, you go I, to the draft? Uh, I did not go to the draft. Uh, I know there were a, a bunch of my my peers that played on the Flyers that were represented by Gus Bedali where Daryl Evans and, and Larmer and Steve Ludzik, they all went to Montreal for the draft. But, uh, no, I, I mean, it was just – I think it was a new type of thing where, where players started to go. Um, and now, I mean, it's just a yeah. – you know, you're going, right? Especially if you're, you know, pretty sure that you're going to get drafted. But, no, it was uh, wait by the rotary phone. And uh, <laughs> Is that how you heard? By the phone? Yeah, that's how, that's how you heard. I mean, I, I got a phone call, um, you know, right after, obviously, that, that third round from our general manager. It may have been in the early afternoon, for all I can remember, uh, when the draft was already over. But, um, you know, uh-huh. it was uh, it was way different back then and, and getting the news of, of where you got picked and, and all that kind of stuff. We heard a story last week. We interviewed uh, Chico Resch, and he said he was out delivering mail, and he got a call <laughs> that he got traded from Montreal. And uh, he said that was the way, and then he finished my route. So that's the way it was. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, you know, I, I take myself back to uh, – it was 1980 when I was drafted, so we're now, if I do my math correctly, um, uh, that's 41 years ago pretty much. Wow. And, uh, you know, like today you kind of – I mean, you've got the draft show, you've got all these projections on who's going where. They almost have it nailed down to some degree. There's always some surprises. But, you know, I mean, back in our generation, um, it, it was way different. And you didn't know – you didn't even know if you were going to get drafted. You right. hoped to get drafted. It seemed like you were going to get drafted. Um, and I remember picking up that phone. It was Jimmy DeVolano. Um, oh, wow. Uh, who uh, – uh, no, that was when he traded me. This was uh, <laughs> the general manager at the time was Ted Lindsay, but I, oh, I got wow, that wow. phone call and uh, 
you know, was told that the Red Wings had picked me up. And, and I got to tell you guys, I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> to Were be you? Honest. Did you want to go to uh, Montreal? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't have minded that at all. But, um, you know, the only thing I remembered about being, in, um, you know, watching the Red Wings was uh, it wasn't a pretty city back then. Um, it The Maple Leaf bus, when I was watching Leaf hockey in the 70s, got shot at outside the uh, the Detroit Olympia, and they weren't a very good hockey club. And I thought, oh, man, could I not have got a little bit farther and a little <laughs> bit nicer or whatever? But, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, a thrill to be drafted, first of all. And then uh, it, it was a perfect scenario for me to, uh, yeah. uh, to be part of the Red Wings and uh, and go to a team that, that needed a little infusion of some, some youth because uh, – mm-hmm. You know, things have gotten run run into the ground a little bit by the time uh, uh, the late seventies uh, came around in in Detroit. And you get you get to Detroit, you make it your first year there, uh, and you play and you led the team in scoring. You had uh, what was it, sixty seven points in eighty games. And and when I went to look, I thought that sixty seven points in eighty games that's that's impressive. That's like that's really impressive. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you're impressed. I, I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> like how about that way, because I mean, you, you got to understand this. And, and we talked a little bit about uh, junior hockey where uh, I played Niagara Falls. I, I was not even drafted into junior hockey. I was one of those guys that got a letter in the mail and come, we need some extra players to, to be a part of training camp. And, wow. and I was fully anticipating to just go there for the experience. And uh, I got a, a letter in the mail that summer. I got a training manual because Bert Templeton was crazy about fitness. I decided, <laughs> you know, what the heck? I might as well give myself an opportunity and do what's required, right? You, you do the off ice. And, and I could skip pretty good, right? And, <laughs> and for whatever reason, Bert was kind of – I remember when we were doing the off ice conditioning portion of it where you had to do a bunch of things and skipping was one of it. Um, you know, he was, he was, he kind of like, you know, how many, how many did you do in one minute and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, but that was part of um, me eventually making that team as a, wow. as a walk on. And, um, and so, you know, the thoughts of even having an NHL career or even, you know, thinking about that was not even a, a part of the equation for me. It came very quickly. And so, uh, you know, to go from being a walk on in junior to, to getting drafted by the, the Red Wings, and then leading their team in scoring as a 20-year-old, as a rookie, um, you know, that was just like this, things were moving very quickly. Um, yeah. And it, it was just a, a surprising thing, but uh, uh, it, it was it was pretty cool. That's that's awesome. And 67 points in 80 games, that'll get you into the uh, discussion, you know, for Calder Cup. But the, the people that came in that year, in the Calder year, the, the your rookie year, you had some big, big shoes there. There was uh, Dale Howarchuk and others, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I may have gotten one vote uh, from one of the beat writers <laughs> when it came to all of that voting and stuff. But, but it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I played with a journeyman by the name of Walt McKechnie. He was my centerman, and uh, he just told me to go up and down the wing. I'll get you the puck. Shoot the puck. You got a good shot. Um, you know, growing up, my dad tried to tell me, just try to be like Bob Gainey, be responsible away from the puck. And, and that's really what I tried to do. And that's what got me in a junior. I, 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 I prided myself on working and, 
um, being responsible away from the puck. And, and, you know, I knew I could shoot the puck and, you know, provided uh, uh, depending on who you were put as line mates, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I played on some, some scoring lines throughout my NHL career. And then, you know, I, I kind of transitioned into being a checking line near the end of my career. So um, I think the secret to, you know, anyone's success is to make sure you don't give them too many goals, right? So score around the 20, 20 goal mark. And then, because if you score more, they're going to want it, right? Yeah, yeah. So you kind of be a little bit modest with your production. Speaking of which, I don't know if you heard the, our interview with, uh, I wanted to play a clip of it. We, we interviewed Chico Resch last week, and this is part of what he had to say. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. No, that wasn't Chico. That wasn't Chico. Listen, um, you were traded after you played a couple seasons in in Detroit. You get traded to New York. How did you hear about that? You were traded for Ron Duguay, who was a pretty popular guy at the time. And talk about that trade and what it was like to, to go to New York. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, you talked about me leading the team and scoring my first year, and I got named to Team Canada, went there and played in the World Championships over in, in, in uh, Finland. And then while I was over in Finland, I, I, I got up out of my chair and I started to feel really dizzy and I, mm. and I felt like I was going to pass out. And that entire summer, I just did not feel good. And so coming off that, um, um, that you know, season, surprising season of leading the team in scoring, I go into that second year. Uh, Mike Illich buys the team, by the way, that summer. Mm-hmm. And so now um, I go into my second year and and I'm just not 100%. I, I go through that, uh, you know, second season. I may have scored, you know, 19 goals that year down from my 26th, the rookie season. But I still played every game, but I just did not feel good. I just did not feel 100%. And next thing you know, uh, just after the draft, um, I get a phone call from Jimmy Devolano. And here I thought Jimmy was calling me to tell me about this kid they drafted the fourth overall. Uh, Mark, uh, this is uh, Jimmy D, and uh, <laughs> we picked this. Uh, we think he's going to be a pretty good player, uh, Steve Eiserman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Eiserman, he goes, but uh, but Mark, uh, we've made a deal, and you're involved. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, it's kind so of- it was like. I mean, no, I mean, two years of being a young player there and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Jimmy made the trade and Ron Duguay was part of it. It was a six player trade. And, and yeah, the summer of 1983, I, I was heading to New York Rangers and, uh, and yet, uh, you know, those were, you know, I spent five years in New York and, and I loved my time in New York. I mean, it was, it was the heyday and you had Chico Resch on. I mean, it was the Islanders winning four Stanley cups in a row. It was a, it, it, it's like an original six rivalry between the Leafs and the Canadians, yeah. uh, the Rangers and Islanders, mm-hmm. and uh, a vibrant city, an original six team. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in New York. And then you get traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs for a guy named Jeff Jackson. Is that correct? Yeah. Is it the Jeff Jackson that we know from Hockey Ministries? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it, it's it's not it's not him. But um, yeah, you know, like. Uh, we had gone to the uh, Stanley cup semifinals and I hate to bring this up again, but it was 1986 and Patrick <laughs> Watt stood on his head. Um, we, we lost to the Canadians uh, in, in those semifinals. Um, and then I got off to a real good start the following year. I think I scored 10 goals in the first 18 games. And then uh, we were 
in New Jersey, having our pregame meal, getting ready to play the Devils, and um, somebody uh, notified me there was a phone call for me. And I went and, and picked up the phone in, in the hotel, and it was uh, a pastor friend of, of my family's to tell me that my dad had just passed away. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, my goodness. Like, it was, um, you know, totally unexpected. And I mean, I, I'm not afraid to share it, but he took his life. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, a, it, you know, the most devastating thing that, you know, anyone would go through in a family is to, to lose their dad and lose the dad in which, you know, in the way in which he took his life. But, but after that, I mean, I, I, it was tough to come back and to play and leave my mom and do all that stuff. And, but um, in the, uh, uh, a March morning, uh, right on the trade deadline, I get a phone call from Phil Esposito. He was our general manager in New York at the time. Uh, and he says, I've traded to the Maple Leafs. And so he, he really did me a favor yeah, um, because he knew that, you know, what had, what had transpired with our family. And uh, my mom was here in Toronto. And so uh, he says, yeah, the Leafs have been calling about you and this, that, and the other. And, uh, and so, yeah. And, and, and I'm, most unusual indirect way a dream came true, you know, being a Southern Ontario boy, um, getting traded to the Maple Leafs, a team that, you know, you grew up watching on hockey night in Canada. And you remember the first game that your dad took you to on the subway at church in Carleton and, and the smells and, and just, uh, you know, and now to be a Toronto Maple Leaf was, uh, was, was quite a thrill. Wow. Stevie, you got a question there? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that the coach at that time was was John Brophy. Now, what what was it like to play for him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John John was was our coach. Uh, Brof um, was a passionate guy. <laughs> he, uh, he, you know, I mean, he's the he's the one who, if you've seen, and I'm sure you've all seen the movie Slapshot, but he's portrayed in Slapshot. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and that was the old days of, of tomfoolery, right? <laughs> there you go. Both were crazy days, but Brof hated to lose. And, you know, you got to remember, uh, we grew up, um, you know, watching the Broad Street Bullies, and the game was just different, entirely different than it is today. But, uh, you know, it, it was like the Cold War. You know, teams would, would uh, um, load up on tough guys, right? Mm-hmm. And, whether, you know, you were in Detroit and you had Probert and Kocher or you, you know, had to go into Philadelphia and there was, uh, you know, Dave Brown and Rick Tockett. I mean, it was just a whole okay. different generation. But I, I know that, uh, you know, you, you talked about Brof and, uh, you know, Brof was, Brof was good to play for for us. I mean, it wasn't a great time for Leaf hockey in some regards. You know, it was nearing the end of Harold's life, and and uh, you know, it was a there was I think a little bit of a hiccup for for the Leafs, uh, you know, during the mid '80s and, and late '80s um, until uh, Cliff Fletcher came along. But uh, hey, he put Eddie Olchuk and Gary Lehman and myself together. Uh, we had a couple of good years, uh, had a lot of fun together, scored some goals. I mean, Gary scored fifty, and uh, you set him you know, up on all of those, right? Oh yeah. Well, 49, I think 49 of my, uh, my 50 assists that, that year. That's good. Yeah. Bobby, you got a question for Mark? Uh, yeah. Uh, Mark, now you were traded to the Jets in 1990. And my question is a two-parter. First, 
What was your experience like in Winnipeg? And is it true Lori Boschman wore fur coats? Oh, yeah. Well, well, there you go. So, uh, you know, again, why do you guys keep on asking me about all the times I've been traded? So, <laughs> Red Wings to the Rangers to yeah. the Leafs no, over to Winnipeg. But it was with Eddie Olchuk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was uh, Floyd Smith was our general manager here with the Maple Leafs at the time. And, I remember uh, I'm in the same house that I was, uh, you know, back when I played. Um, this was uh, just getting ready to sit down and have my pregame meal when uh, the phone rang, and it was Floyd Smith and had informed me that, uh, you know, we've traded you to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Eddie Olchuk, by the way, was at the hospital. His wife was in labor with their oh, wow. first son. Wow. That's where he found out when <laughs> Diane was pushing, and, and he was wow. And we wow. Like packing. So <laughs> And we were packing. We were heading to Winnipeg. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and you know that was I got to say that was uh, that was really a, a disappointing phone call. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, no, nobody likes to get traded because I mean you, you're there, you're committed. Um, I know some guys asked to get traded, but uh, you know after we had a real good season as a line and then got off to a not a very good start as a team. I mean they made changes and Eddie I went to Winnipeg. Um, and I didn't start off on a very good note there because I got misquoted and I talked about the desolate cold and they <laughs> thought I said the desolate hole. Uh-oh. <laughs> so so I, I was wondering why I got booed when I stepped on the ice. But um, <laughs> no, Winnipeg's a great, uh, great family environment. They love their hockey there. Um, it was not very... I was not there. We were not there for maybe a dozen games when Brendan Shanahan slashed me in Winnipeg and broke my thumb. And and so I missed the next two months. So my, my start in Winnipeg wasn't that great. And then, um, you know, the following year, um, you know, it it was just okay. And, And I really began to think that, you know, um, I'm not getting used the way I, I was, or even though Eddie and I were still playing together, it just didn't seem like a good fit in Winnipeg. Um, and then uh, trade deadline day of uh, 1992, um, we were out having lunch. And you know hockey players, they, they lead you to believe that they don't think about trade deadline, but they do. Oh, they do. Yeah, <laughs> so they do. We went, we went to a restaurant. There was Randy Carlisle, Phil Housley, uh, Thomas Steen, myself, Bob Asenza, so we went and and then we looked at the watch and said, "Hey, it's two o'clock. It's over. We didn't get traded." You know, <laughs> one of those. I went down to where we lived in uh, downtown Winnipeg and and walked, uh, came up the hallway of the condo we were in, and my wife's down at the end of the hallway and and she's got this look on her face and it was like one of those looks like somebody died. Oh, like no, that no. was the kind of look I go, "Oh no!" Like what happened? She goes, "You're never gonna believe it." I go, what? She goes, we're traded. <laughs> we were just celebrating. We never got <laughs> traded. But it was like right obviously near the end of the trade deadline. And and so I didn't know. So they must have called the house, right? You didn't have cell phones back then. Yeah. Um, and she says, you're not going to believe it. We've been traded back to the Maple Leafs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I said, well, you know what? They made a mistake the first time. So let's go make <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know what? Yeah, we got to go back and play for Pat Burns. And, you know, uh, that was that was the beginning of the passion returning in the early mm-hmm. 90s to Toronto. So 
those were those were a fun few years here for sure. And, and you didn't answer the so did Bashi? Did he have fur coats? Oh, did, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know what? So I heard about this guy Laurie Boschman, right? And you know, I know we'll get to faith in a, in a little bit, but um, you know, I knew that that Bosch had gotten kicked out of Toronto because of his faith, and uh, he was now in Winnipeg and everything like that. And I, and I know Winnipeg's cold. But I, I remember going in between where um, the families would meet you after games. There would be the visitors and there would be the home team and everybody would kind of congregate together. And I, I was kind of asking everybody, like, who, who's that guy over there? Like, he's got the fur coat down to his <laughs> Like, And then it dawned on me. I go, now I know why his mom named him Lori. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I go, Bosch, that is embarrassing. That is really embarrassing to be a guy wearing a fur coat down to your ankles. You think he still has it? Uh, well, I don't know. I thought maybe you guys would have asked we him should about have, that. Yeah, we asked him lots of questions. We didn't ask him that, but we should have asked that him that. Kept it. Um, yeah, knowing him, he would have sold it for a profit. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you met your wife when you were in New York, and how many years have you been married now? Uh, I better get this right, eh? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's going to be 33 years this uh, oh, wow. Awesome, awesome. And 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 yeah. your wife was was an actress in yeah. in the movies, and uh... yeah, she was an actress in the movies. Um, you know, little did I know when we had first uh, you know got introduced, you know, via a friend, because we didn't really meet. But um, I know I can go on and on about this, but. Um, yeah, she had, uh, you know, she began her movie career back in uh, 1979. She, uh, got cast and got the part in Urban Cowboy with John Travolta. So that was the start of her, uh, uh, you know, her movie career. And, um, you know, we met through a mutual friend of ours who, uh, this girl, Terry Sorekel, she was a publicist for CBS, but she wrote for the Ranger magazine. You know, when you would go to a game, you would get the program. And so she did an article on me. She, uh, you know, we were, we had gone to the Stanley cup, uh, you know, semifinals and, and then we started the next year and there was a bunch of injuries and this, that, and the other. And, and while she was interviewing me, she kind of opened the door a little bit to, you know, ask me how I was able to deal with adversity in the game. And that kind of gave me the opportunity to share just a little bit about my faith of how I handle things away from the rink. And uh, she became, you know, kind of a little bit curious about that and, and said, what do you mean? What do you mean you, you're, you have this faith? I mean, how can you be a Christian and be a hockey player? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because, I mean, that was just kind of, you know, whatever, you know, that, that comment that she had made. So I, I could tell that she was kind of interested. I told her a little bit about my, uh, my summer experiences I had with hockey ministries, um, what, what, uh, you know, Don Lismer and some of the other guys in the game mean to me and how they encourage me in my personal faith. And she goes, I'd love to do a deeper story about that. And so I thought, great. I shared my faith with her. Now she wants to know more and I'll, well, I'll be able to tell her exactly how I came to faith and, uh, um, you know, and hope that that'll be a good thing. Well, um, she was so curious. I ended up giving her a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. And, and then I didn't see Terry in the press box because I was still hurt for a number of weeks. And then she came back and uh, I go, Terry, hey, where have you been? She goes, well, I was on a publicity tour because I worked for CBS and I had met somebody just like you. 
<laughs> well, somebody just like you. Well, it, it ended up being who she introduced me to Madeline um, oh, wow. and, and said that uh, Madeline had told her the same thing on this publicity tour that they were on for CBS. She was just a part of a, a miniseries called If Tomorrow Comes uh, based on a Sidney Sheldon book with Tom Berenger. And so when Liam Neeson was in it, and so Madeline was the star of that. And that's really, she showed me a picture of Madeline. She was on the cover of TV Guide because it was upcoming, uh, getting ready to uh, to launch on CBS. And I go, she's, you know, she's beautiful. And she goes, you guys need to meet. <laughs> and I looked at the picture and I was like 24 at the time. And I'm thinking we should meet. I go, what am I going to say to her? I got nothing to say to her. <laughs> yeah. She's an actress. She's like, <clears throat> I'm just a hockey player, a Canadian <laughs> hockey player, right? And uh, I go, well, what do you want me to do, Terry? You know, do you want me to call her up? I go, I'm not calling her up or whatever. I did the safe thing. I wrote her a letter. Okay? <laughs> I wrote the letter. That would have been, like, easy. Like, send her a text, do an Instagram or whatever, right? Yeah. And much to my surprise, I got a beautiful letter back. And we had become, and we were pen pals for at least 10 months before we ever met. Wow. And, and that was kind of the foundation of our friendship was through letters. And uh, then we finally had met. And, um, you know, it wasn't too long after we, we actually physically met that that summer we ended up getting engaged and got married the following year. So I know that was a long-winded story, but but it was uh, it was really a God-ordained thing in, in my life for uh for Madeline and I to meet, and it was a result of me simply sharing my faith with a uh, a hockey writer in New York. So that is very, very cool. And yeah. I think you just you pretty much answered your question, didn't you, Steve? Yeah, I was going to say it was. We were just going to ask about what it's like to to live out your faith, and, and I guess you mentioned a little bit about you know you wanted to share your faith to this person and, and how you came to faith. So what is a bit of the story of how you did end up coming to faith? Yeah. So so my last name is not Osborne; it's Osipovich. Yeah. <laughs> my my dad changed our name. Uh, pure-blooded Ukrainian, <laughs> both sets of grandparents, uh, you know, from from the Ukraine, uh, immigrated to Canada after the Second World War. My mom and dad actually met at the Ukrainian Baptist Church in downtown Toronto. Wow. Uh, in the late 50s. And so, you know, I was born and raised in the church going home, and, and uh, um, both sets of my grandparents were actually evangelized in the Ukraine uh, under... Wow like kind of in secrecy, you know, cause there was no real freedom of faith in, in at that time, not, not behind the iron curtain. And so, um, you know, while I even, uh, you know, kind of observed the faith of my family and uh, my grandparents and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it, it did not become uh, something personal to me until I was a 14 year old. And, and again, sometimes the Lord works in, uh, you know, through challenges or through tragedy. And my mm. uncle was a Presbyterian minister. He got hit by a car. Uh, he was killed. Mm. And my aunt came to live with us. And, and that really bothered me, actually. You know, just the, you know, the, 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 the dealing with the grieving, you know, process of, of seeing your uncle who had, you know, three younger boys, um, they may have been in high school at the time, but still, it, it was not fun. But that really got the ball rolling for me in a spiritual sense to just start asking myself, like, if something was to happen to me, you know, where would I spend eternity? And, mm-hmm. and because I went to church or because I had a, you know, somewhat of a belief system, like I believe there was a God, but I knew deep down in my heart that I wasn't, you know, a, a real believer, uh, I, mm-hmm. I guess. And 
you know, the funny thing is um, that uh, that following fall after my uncle had passed away in, in January, um, there was a guy from Billy Graham that came and spoke at my church, John Wesley White. I mean, you mm, must yep. you may have been familiar with who John was, but but, uh, you know, I was fascinated by Billy Graham as a kid in the 70s, you know, going to seeing football stadiums filled and and delivering a simple message of faith and and all these people walking out of their seats, going down to the front and, and you know, inviting, you know, Jesus into their hearts. I, I kind of, I got the idea, but <clears throat> the rubber met the road for me that Sunday morning when John spoke. Mm. And, uh, you know, with tears coming down my face, mm. um, I wanted to be right with God. Like, I, I really did. I, I you know, I, I believed in Jesus, and I just, you know, you can't explain it, right, unless you've done it, that, that uh you know the insincerity of your heart when you when you come to faith and you just say, Lord, uh, you know I, I I know I've fallen short. Uh, I you know I've made made a bunch of mistakes or whatever. I mean we know that that is sin, and yet mm. you know Jesus provided you with salvation right through his uh, you know through his sacrificial death on the cross, and so it, it made sense to me that morning mm. and. Uh, I knew that I was, you know, going to say, hey, I have no idea uh, what life has in store for me, but I, I believe this is truth. And if you are who you say you are, then come into my heart and make me the person you want me to be. And, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of my faith journey uh, back in 1975 as a 14-year-old boy. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Bobby, you got a question? Yeah, Mark, uh, we know today you're a pro scout with uh, the L.A. Kings. I was wondering, what does being a pro scout look like during a pandemic? It's got to be difficult. <clears throat> yeah, it, it certainly has. I mean, going all the way back to, uh, well, over a year now, right? I mean, because being a pro scout, I mean, we would be, and I would, uh, you know, be going to at least four or five games a week. I, I cover the Atlantic Division. Um, so there's four of us at the NHL level, and we all – have to watch our teams play every night. So whether I'm going to Boston or I'm going to Montreal, which is a pain, or I, I got to go to Ottawa, like I got to see those teams play uh, every night. Um, sometimes I have to go to South Florida because they're, <laughs> that, you have they're to go. Eh? Is there good golf down there? Are you allowed to golf in South Florida? So so yeah. So that's what that's what I'm doing. I'm watching the Atlantic Division teams, and to make a long story short. Um, you know, it's a lot of travel, but, but I live here in Toronto, so it's easy for me to go to Buffalo, right? See the Leafs here. I mean, anytime there's an Atlantic t division team that comes to Toronto. So I have it really good when it comes to travel. We still do travel a lot, but you know, our, our primary focus is for trades and, and free agency. And so, you know, right now during the pandemic, I mean, it's been like 95% video. Um, wow. that yeah. I've been watching my team. It's not It's not the best. Live is the best, but mm -hmm. you, you do get some good stuff on video as well. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had a chance to go to a bunch of the Leaf games here because they've allowed us to do so. Um, and so I've probably seen at least 10 Leaf games, um, you know, this winter. But, yeah, it's been primarily video work. And, you know, the playoffs obviously started yesterday. And, yeah, I'm just watching our, our – uh, you know, the teams I'm responsible for and now some unrestricted free agents that okay. we're, you know, we're looking at. 
And the beauty of, you know, doing the TV stuff, uh, I mean, I could upload that game and have it right after the game and I could do individual shifts. So if I'm watching, say, um, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, for instance, mm-hmm. right now is an unrestricted free agent. <clears throat> and, you know, when they play uh, this coming week against Winnipeg, I mean, I, I'll watch the game, but I can watch his shifts one after another. Mm-hmm. So wow. in you know, 18 minutes, I can get a real sense of what his game was like that night instead of having to spend uh, two and a half hours. But tonight, because Florida and Tampa Bay play, um, you know, they're of the old Atlantic division, but they're still playing against one another. And, uh, you know, that'll be sitting in my lazy boy, uh, focusing <laughs> on uh, my teams that I've watched a lot this year. So there isn't a lot that's going to change from what we've observed, but, um, you know, some of the newer players, for instance, you know, David Savard has come over from Columbus to Tampa. He's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Brandon Montour went from, um, Buffalo to Florida. So, so there are guys to watch in addition to the rest of the, you know, the players that I've got a good handle on from this year. That's good. Nice. That's great. Um, listen, we, we want to end. We just, some of our listeners write us and ask us some questions. So we wanted to take a few, we got three questions and we'll end with that. And, uh, we got a question here from, uh, let me just see who the question's from. Uh, this is from a Jason who lives in Belleville and he wrote in and wanted to know what influenced this hairdo. When he said that in, so it just oh, oh Jason had just uh, yeah, from Belleville. Oh, I don't know his last name. Jason from Belleville. Huh? I wonder who that might be. Eh? <laughs> well, uh, so do you want me to get into that? That 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 was, that was the second perm, by the way. That was the oh, second wow. perm with Rangers. My first perm was in Detroit. Reed Larson and I said, "Let." He said to me, "Let's go get our hair permed." And I'm a, I'm a rookie. He's the veteran. <laughs> He's the captain, and he asked me to go get my hair permed with him. <laughs> so, like, every good rookie, I did that. <clears throat> okay? Hey, all I can it's say, Jason from Belleville, <laughs> is, you know what? Like, change it up once in a while. <laughs> oh, there it is, Jason. Change it up once in a while. Okay, Bob, you got a question, I think, from a listener, too. Yeah, uh, from Paul in Toronto. When you were a player coach and playing in Cleveland, you had an interaction with Chris McSorley. Can you recall what happened? <laughs> oh, wow. Isn't it interesting? Hey, these guys from Toronto. Well, I, I think I happen to know who that listener might be. But Okay, so I'm at the end of my playing career. I went down to the minors and played in Cleveland uh, after the NHL. Um, you know, Cleveland's now the Lake Erie Monsters. They're the uh, farm team for Columbus. But um, – Vegas had hockey back then in the old International Hockey League. And you're right, Chris McSorley, brother of Marty McSorley, was behind the bench in Vegas. And they had a very tough team. And, and, you know, I mean, uh, Chris McSorley was really a a noted tough guy uh, while he played. But his team was really tough. And um, they were kind of gooning us up a little bit. And (laughs) while on a power play, they were on the power play, they pick a fight with our tough guy who's killing a penalty so that they can get him in the box. So now we're down to not very many defense having to kill penalties, right? And that just infuriated me. And and as I was uh, going up and down the ice while killing the penalty, I can hear McSorley yelling from the bench at me. And I was kind of hacking and whacking some of his players, and I was really frustrated. Well, I got the puck in the neutral zone, and instead of just, you know, dumping it in while shorthanded, I, I knew the bench was over here, and I did a Ralph Backstrom backhand. 
<laughs> I hit him square in the chest. <laughs> well, instead of icing it, I came along this way, and I and, and I got, I mean, that could have been the best backhand of my career. <laughs> I hit him square in the chest, and then all mayhem broke out after that. Oh, <laughs> I got kicked out of the game. And, oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was one of my fondest memories for sure. <laughs> That's good. And we have one more question. Yeah, uh, I've got one here. Uh, it's it's from a Lori. I don't know if it's a guy or a girl, but a Lori in Ottawa uh, that just wants to know if you if you yourself have ever owned a fur coat. So that's that's the question from Lori in Ottawa. So yeah, well, Lori in Ottawa, uh, if you would have lent me that fur coat after I got traded to Winnipeg, I think I really would have appreciated. It. But no, I would have never have ever stooped to that. Oh, uh, not low and, and put one of those things on. So. Oh, that's too funny. Listen, we want to thank you for joining us. I, w- I want to end with one question though. In this whole pandemic and all of COVID, what has God taught you through COVID? Oh, oh, wow. That's a, that's a, that, that's a real good one because I mean, um, you know, one of the things I, I think that, uh, you, you know, we're, we're dealing what 400 plus days in all of this. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I've really found it more challenging the last number of months, and especially since Mr. Ford is not allowing us to golf. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he's, he's really taught me to just uh, really respect your, uh, your leadership, regardless of the decisions <laughs> they make or not. Yeah. No, I, I think it's just been, um, you know, focusing on all the things that you're thankful for mm. um, in, in spite of, uh, you know, having to deal through all that we've had to do without the normal aspects of life that we've taken for granted. Uh, I think we have it still very good here in our country, right? Where yeah. yeah. freedoms, we're healthy, we're safe. Uh, we can make the most of our time with our families at home. I mean, I've never spent this much time with my wife in 33 years of <laughs> You marriage. still like each other, right? <laughs> yeah, and she still likes me. Oh, that's it's good. Amazing thing. So, but I think it's just uh, that, uh, you know, one verse that I've really tried to, uh, when the new year started in our small group, we're all trying to pick a word uh, that we might be able to apply. And it was abide for me, you know, from, mm-hmm. uh, from John, uh, John 15, where it says, that, you know, if you abide in me and I abide in you, um, you know, you will bear much fruit. Mm-hmm. And so that's... Uh, that's what I've been trying to do. I can't say that it's been, uh, you know, fantastic uh, each step of the way, but, you know, it's still a goal to say, you know, Lord, you're, you're in control. You're good. Um, You know, however you can, you know, use me for, for, for good and to, um, you know, keep my eyes focused on you. That's, uh, you know, been part of the, the challenge during this pandemic. So that's good. That's good. What did we just become best friends? Yep. Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. We want to thank Mark Osborne for joining us on the show tonight. Mark, it's been a privilege to have you on here and to hear your story. And uh, we know you got to work because you got to go watch the game, don't you? Yeah, I have to watch the game, but uh, it's called PVR. Bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not able to get you to, to buy it anyways, that I got to go at 730. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You said it's a hard. I got to get out of here right off the bat. Oh, well, thanks for tuning in. And uh, for the edge of Tom Foolery, my name is Bruce Mackey. I'm Bob Morris. 
And I'm Steve Height. Our guest has been Mark Osborne. Mark, thanks for joining us. Okay, guys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. I appreciate what you guys do.